I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. And joining me today is Dr. Tamika Henry, MD. She and I are going to talk about um, how to improve sleep, stress less, and support your immune system. Dr. Tamika Henry specializes in functional medicine. Her mission is to stop the problem before it occurs, creating a practice where reactive medicine isn't necessary, using functional medicine to see what stressors and other sources are causing illness in her patients. She works with patients nationwide, including a whole wide roster of celebrity clients, training them in the art of personal health and wellness. Functional medicine is really root cause medicine. This approach takes into consideration the patient's whole picture, including diet, exercise, environment, genetics, stress, sleep, medication, spiritual impact, toxins, and mold. As a family physician, Dr. Tamika leads by example. She's an exercise enthusiast, author of the bestseller, The Unlimited You Detox, and founder of Unlimited Health Institute. Welcome to the show, Dr. Henry. Thank you you so much for having me, Catherine. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Great. Well, doctor, there's there's a whole long list of things we need you to help us with. And this is sort of sounds like uh, medicine. I don't know, a preemptive strike against disease, right? We're not going to be defensive. We're we're going to be on the offensive. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. That is right on target. What happens is so many times people don't go to the doctor until it's like, they're having so many symptoms or there's something off or a loved one has some catastrophic event and it scares them to see the physician. So we need to be more on the proactive side as opposed to the reactive side. So that's what I'm all about. And that's why we're going to head it off before it gets started. Well, okay. You just mentioned the patient waits until something horrific has happened and then finally goes to the doctors. But on the other side of that too, doctors practice differently. Not Not a lot of them practice functional medicine like you do. They are always, you know, they're they're waiting for you to get the disease, give you the medication, send you home with your script and that, you know, that kind of thing, rather than asking you questions, as I described, I guess, in the interview, uh, that would lead to maybe being able to help you before you get cancer or heart disease or diabetes or, uh, you know, all the terrific kinds of things that we end up getting. I think what happens a lot of times with Some physicians is that when they're in a setting where they are having to see so many people in an hour, they can only cover so many things. So let's say, what's your top two things that we discuss right now? So it puts them in a bind. I think we all go into medicine wanting to have an impact, wanting to help people get better, wanting to help them see that, you know, the first thing in medicine is do no harm. When they say, when someone comes in and they have an issue, the first thing is lifestyle changes. But if you only have 15 minutes to really address one particular, two particular aspects in a personal life, you can only cover so much. So then it's like they're stuck. Okay, well, looks like you have diabetes, so let's go ahead and give you this medication. looks like if you have diabetes, then you're probably going to end up with problems with your cholesterol and your blood pressure. So let me give you these two other medications. So now you have free meds, and now the patient's overwhelmed because at the end of the day, they don't even know what to do in the first place, right? Right. So they're frustrated, and the physician's frustrated, and the system at times is just not in the best. So now we're like, what do we do? And that's why I say... If we can just get ahead of it and just really help people to understand, because if you think about, let's just pick on diabetes. There are more diabetics, pre-diabetics out there than are diabetics. And people don't even know they have diabetes because it doesn't feel like anything. You don't have any necessarily any pain. You may not have any numbness or tingling. You may not have anything. So you're like, ah, I don't need to go to the doctor anyway. So 
I'm good. And by the time you get there, the doctor's like, okay, look at the blood work, and it's like, oh, you have diabetes. So if we can get ahead of that by saying, okay, stop, let's get some blood work, let's see where you are, let's have a little bit of time to discuss what's going on. Right now, your blood sugar looks a little elevated. What are you doing? What are you eating? And half the time, people don't realize that certain foods raise their blood sugars. For instance, what I'm eating fruit, and I like my um, bananas, and I like my mangoes, and those are high-sugar content fruits, so they're going to raise your blood sugar. But I thought I was doing well, doctor. Well, how about we go to berries, because berries have a lower glycemic index, but don't raise your blood sugar so high, and you can still keep the fruit. And then I would say, you know, never eat a naked carb. Well, what do you mean by that, Dr. Henry? Well, what I mean by that is if you're going to eat an apple, pair it with some nuts. Or pair, if you're going to eat uh, some celery, eat it with some hummus. So now you don't have that naked carb, which causes a raise in your blood sugar. So those little tips, those little hacks, Catherine, really make a difference. But unfortunately, there's so much information out there. There's so much things that are confusing. You know, so many people go to Google University, right? And they get yep. so much information <laughs> And they get confused. And I don't know what to do, so I do nothing. And that's what I try to help them along the way. All right. I'm going to ask you this, Dr. Henry, because I think this is one of the topics that I don't know if it's taboo, but, uh, you know, half the people in the United States are overweight and another third Mm -hmm. are obese. And doctors seem not to address that issue because you're talking about diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes. Um, why? I mean, it would seem to me starting with a simple thing. I mean, you're talking specifically about what kind of diet people should be eating. But what about their? You know, the patient walks in and they see you. I mean, I, my, you know, all, you know, they have back problems. They have you know all kinds of symptoms. But nobody ever looks and says, well, maybe if you lost some weight, it it, it would help mitigate some of these issues. Um, Great. You're right on target, Catherine. You're right on target. What happens with weight is that it's definitely a sensitive topic, right? Yeah. At the end of the day it definitely has an impact on uh, your pain, has an impact on your sleep, it has an impact on other disease processes that can be going on in your, in your life. So when we stop and say, okay, let's just talk about, let's, let's have the time allotted to the physician to actually address what's going on. And the elephant in the room is the weight. What does physicians say? A lot of physicians don't like talking about food because they themselves are like, okay, you know, I didn't get the best classes in nutrition, So let me send you to the nutritionist. And then the nutritionist gives them a a sheet of paper that says eat this, and they don't eat half the stuff on the list. So just starting with like, okay, what's going on? How long have you been overweight? What's the weight you would like to be at? Um, How is it impacting your health? What have you noticed? Okay, let's make these small little changes. So let's say, for instance, someone is, I'm going to pick on soda. So let's say the person drinks um, six cans of soda a day. Okay. Can we decrease that to three? Or maybe it's bread. I love bread. Okay. You eat bread with every meal. Can we decrease that to uh, one piece of bread as opposed to having three pieces of bread? Or can we increase, can we add some veggies? Or how about let's start with what else is impacting you? Are you stressed out? Or how, what's going on um, with your children? What's going on at birth? Because when you put all of it, yes, we can look at the food, but it's multifactorial, right? It's, it's the sleep, it's the stress, it's the medication, it's the um, financial stressors, it's what's going to happen. It's all these things coming together, and the person's like, I'm just trying to breathe. So a patient comes in and just take us through, let's just give an example, you know, put a face on this. Somebody does come in. And uh, well, I, before I get into that, though, I just had a friend who went to a cardiologist because uh, she was having issues, and the cardiologist is obese. 
Because mm-hmm. I read in the when I read your intro, you said you lead by example. Well, it seems to me this cardiologist is not leading by example. That's an example, <laughs> um, and <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily such a unique situation, right? So, um, yeah. yeah, you're right on target with that. So what happens is it's hard to take advice. I think from someone who they see them, okay, you're, you're a cardiologist and you're overweight, and you're trying to tell me what to eat. That's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. So what I say is let's just Get past, let's take the cardiologist for what it's worth. Okay, he or she may be having their struggles. So putting a face on it, you're in here and you're saying you're having problems with your back. Let's talk about, okay, when did this start? And there's some quick fixes that we can do to help you along the way. Number one, uh, let's look at um, what kind of shoes you're wearing. Number two, let's think about changing what's your batches look like. Number three, let's get to the food. I know this is a sensitive topic, but as we think about food, it is going to have a large impact because your weight, the amount of uh, pressure that's on your joints and on your back and so forth is truly impacting your quality of life. And at the end of the day, I want you to have the best quality of life that's possible. So thinking uh, about food, what's a typical breakfast? Now, if we do that, we look at the breakfast, we look at your lunch, we look at your dinner. What are some things that you're willing to do? If I offer to you the opportunity to, let's say, let's try, what about intermittent fasting? Well, what is that? I've never heard of that. Intermittent fasting says you eat for eight hours, you don't eat for 16. Oh, no, Dr. Henry, I'm a star. No, you're not. You're not going to starve. It's just this idea of, <laughs> and I joke about it. Seriously, Catherine, because people are like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to eat. no. You will eat, we're going to put the right proportions of food on board, and we'll find out that window. So let's say you eat from 11 to 7. So that's the hours you can eat from 11 to 7. And then the other time, food is off the table. You can drink some water. You can drink some tea. You can have some coffee. What are you going to do during those other hours? So let's focus on getting the right proportion of food on board during those 11 to 7 and then making sure it's healthy. Let's get rid of the processed food. Let's make sure we have the good fats carbohydrates, and protein. So what do you like to eat? So, Catherine, let me ask you, what's a typical lunch for you? Uh, A typical lunch for me would be fruits. I sort of crave vegetables. I love vegetables. So I would eat leftover vegetables the next day for lunch and then some fruit and maybe some protein. Uh, I I, I like leftovers, actually. So if I've had chicken the night before, I'll have a little chicken. Uh, V8 juice, low sodium. That's sort of typical. That's great. That's typical, right? So yeah. looking at that, you just took what you already have. We're not trying to make this complicated. So for my intermittent fasters, your lunch would be that veggies, the fruit, and a little bit of chicken for lunch. And then for that time, let's say you're eating at 11, and then you would have a snack in between. You have some water, and then maybe you have another snack. And the snack could be um, some nuts. You may have some, uh, I don't want to pick up with something that my patients commonly eat. Uh, they'll do some almond crackers with um, a nut butter or some a non-dairy cheese, and then you'll have your dinner, which will have your, your, your veggies, your protein, and your fats, and then you may have some tea or something at night. Now you have a balanced meal, and when you get into the habit of that, your body will start to do so well. Intermittent fasting has been proven to help with your blood sugar, help with your blood pressure, help decrease pain, help with your digestive system, um, help overall with like hormonal balance. There's so many benefits to it. And so start off with three days a week, and let's see how your body responds. I would start with those basics. So that would be my biggest tip right now is, like, looking at what you're eating, consider intermittent fasting. And if that's out the door, then don't do it. There's so many different tricks to the trade. You have to do what works for you because if you can be – the key word should be consistency. What is the thing you can be consistent at? 
Can you be consistent with eating vegetables with each meal? Can you be consistent with not snacking after a certain time, after 8 o'clock? Can you be consistent with walking 15 minutes a day? What can you be consistent with? And meet the patient where they are. Because don't try to give all this craziness because they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it, Catherine. They're not. They're going to say they're going to do it and they come back like, I didn't do that. It didn't work for me. So let's figure out what does. So it has it has to be absolutely like just uh, um, designed for the patient and it has to work for them. But we haven't talked about portion control. That seems to be. Great. Yeah. Oh, great question. Portions are definitely an issue overall because, you know, some people when they don't get late, they say they miss breakfast and they miss lunch. So finally it's four o'clock in the, later in the day and they're like they're starving. So they're eating everything in sight. So if we're thinking about the plate, you know, if you're looking at having majority of your plate with having more veggies, a smaller portion with um, your carbs as far as let's say you're going to have a smaller portion of rice and then, then you're going to have your meat on board. So just looking at, I mean, there was this mnemonic before we used to do, I'm trying to think and I remember about like having how much the, the meat the size of the palm of your hand and having the vegetables the whole entire hand and then having the fat the size of like the amount of fat on your plate like from olive oil the tip of your thumb. These people are visual, Catherine. So when you think about like, what is it that you're trying to put on your plate? Just, I would put my plate and I would, <laughs> I literally draw and look at the circle and say, okay, half of it I want with veggies. Okay, great. So that can be veggies on one side and a salad on the other. And then let's see, a fourth of it has my protein and then the other fourth of it over there has um, my card. Something simple where you can see it and making sure that it has the color of the rainbow. You know, many people just eat the same thing over and over again, and then the body just adapts. And it's like, okay, now it's not getting all the nutrients it nearly needs because you haven't given the nutrients, the phytonutrients from bell peppers that are your reds, your yellows, your greens, um, throwing in there some beets. Well, I don't eat beets, but what do you eat? And let's add that to the plate. We've, all right, we're talking about food. That's one of the ways, obviously, to support your immune system, but there are so many others. And I want to just talk about a couple of those others. Okay, so how do we, because stress and anxiety, uh, that obviously causes all kinds of uh, illnesses. So how, what are some of the methods to cope with anxiety? How do we eliminate so or alleviate? The, yeah. I think first and foremost, when it comes to anxiety, one of the things is that recognizing deep breathing definitely is powerful. There's so much power in the breath. There's something called box breathing where you take in a breath, you inhale for four seconds, you hold for four seconds, you exhale for four seconds, and then you hold that for four seconds. And in essence, you are creating a box. The power of the breath is so clearly, um, I can put this so clearly powerful in the sense that people don't realize they can just stop and do it anywhere. If you're in the car and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling a little bit anxious. Stop, take a deep breath. And that deep breath being holding for four, maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe you say, you say something like, I'm in, you breathe in, I'm in control and nothing is going to happen to me. And you breathe out, let go of all this anxiety. You come up with a mantra that you say, you breathe in. I would say something like, I, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I would breathe out, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I would say whatever that is that helps you get back to your happy spot to a spot of calmness, or even if it's thinking about something, when it comes to stress, and sometimes people need a little help as far as you can do the deep breathing, you can do the mantra, you can say these things, but maybe you need, um, there's various supplements that are out there. In, even a homeopathic um, approach can be healthy. That can help you like just calm down in the moment. That'll help bring things down. And I'm not saying that 
um, it's the end all be all. But if you're just so at the point, I've done the breathing, I can't get this under control, then having something available like a little tincture that can help you calm down. Um, another thing on board is sometimes when people have uh, nutrient deficiencies, they can have feeling more tense. For instance, vitamin D as in dog. A lot of times I've seen in my practice where people have had low vitamin D levels and when we get that vitamin D level optimized, they start to do better and they have less and less anxiety. And I'm a big advocate of therapy, Catherine. I'm pretty sure you've had therapists on your show and therapy is huge. It's not the end all be all, but definitely combining all these techniques together can be powerful. Along with journaling, are you journaling? What are you writing? Um, are you writing down what some of your thoughts are? Are you writing down, like, how are you projecting your day to be? Are you setting your intention for the day? Are you setting your intention for going to sleep? Because as we think about anxiety, it also um, causes me to go into sleep. How are you sleeping? Because if you're not sleeping, meaning you're not able to, let's say you're able to fall asleep, but you're not able to stay asleep. Or maybe you're the opposite. You're able to stay asleep, but it takes you forever ever to fall asleep. And when your sleep is off, then that creates an environment of having more opportunities towards having a more anxiety. So how do we decrease anxiety? Yes, we want better sleep. We want to make certain that our hormones are balanced because hormonal imbalances can contribute to problems with sleep and anxiety. So it's like multifactorial. So if we go from a stepwise approach, first thing is going to be blood sugar control. What do I mean by that? making certain that you have food on board, that you're not necessarily skipping all your meals. If you're doing intermittent fasting, that will blood, that will cause blood sugar stabilization, but making certain you have blood sugar stabilization, meaning getting food on board. Number two, making sure you're getting enough rest. If you're not sleeping, then we need to look into why you're not sleeping. What's going on? Are you up at night in front of a TV, in front of your phone, in front of an iPad? At least 30 minutes before bed, I would have you turn off your electronic devices because these electronic devices uh, give off EMF that cause challenges to our, towards our sleep. And so now we're like up oh, because we've stimulated our mind. Um, the third thing I would say is making certain that we have um, exercise on board to really help. Exercise releases different endorphins, our feel-good hormones as well. So where I would think about that. And then the fourth thing I would say is who is around you? Like who, who's your, uh, your, what's your community look like? Are they bringing you up or are they tearing you down? That would be some of the things I would go after, Catherine. One of the things you mentioned about journaling, and I'm thinking going to sleep at night, you one of you asked me what I eat, but I think one of the other issues is you know, and going to sleep and thinking about all the things that need to be done or I should be doing and prevents me from going to sleep. I find that just if I write a list and I write mm-hmm. it down, it, it alleviates the anxiety somehow. Uh, and that's very easy to do. That's not even journaling, journaling but... Um, it does help, and it helps me to get to sleep. Uh, so I think you're, uh, all of those things that you mentioned are important. But maybe the last thing, I think I mentioned this in the beginning when I read your intro, uh, toxins and mold, how do they impact on your immune system? So when we think about uh, toxins and mold, let's just go over, let's talk about mold. Mold is like one of those things that it's like going down the black hole because <laughs> so many people's homes have mold in it. And I can give you an example right now. I have a client who we couldn't figure out why her skin was doing, I was doing everything, Catherine. I mean, I was, I was reading this research article, looking at this, looking at that. And then she comes back and says, oh, yeah, this is after we've been trying to figure it out for quite some time. She says, oh, yeah, um, we have mold in our house and we're not moving out for another three weeks, but I'm going on vacation next week and I'll be there for two weeks. And I'm like, mold? Yes, obviously it's mold because... 
She had all, like the symptoms made no sense. If you're having things going on, the physician's pulling out, here's her hair, and they're like, I don't know what it is. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking mold because it doesn't present any particular way um, in the sense that, like, it's classic mnemonic. I'm thinking, like, oh, this person has their hair is coming out, um, they have a rash, they have GI upset, and they have a headache. You would hope that those four symptoms would say, oh, that's classically mold. Mold could be any, any plethora of symptoms, but it causes so much a headache for the patient. It causes a physician to actually stop and look for it. And when you have mold on board, definitely that opens up your immune system for attacks from different directions. And then knowing, I would definitely recommend when you're dealing with mold, I would want to, when I get someone who I know for a fact has mold on board, I would definitely start to direct them to a mold specialist because all they do is mold. I mean, and they live, sleep, eat, drink mold. And we're thinking about mold and its impact on our health it can wreak havoc not only on your health, but then the people who's in the houses in the houses with you, everybody's miserable and they're at each other's throat. And we just need to stop and think, okay, are they hormonal? Is this something going on at work? And at the end of the day, a lot of times it can just be something as simple as mold, but as complicated as mold. So there's that component of it. Dealing with toxins, um, toxins are everywhere. I mean, if we think about the air we breathe, we think about where we're sleeping, the car we're in, going outside, they're everywhere. So the question is, can you truly eliminate all toxins? Uh, No, you cannot. But what you can do is decrease your exposure. So when we're thinking about toxins, um, I would start to think about eliminating the obvious. Like, are you... Uh, for women, I'm going to pick on women real quick. A lot of times we want our skin tighter. We want our skin firmer. We want um, to keep the, the presence of youth all around us. So we'll put all these lotions and potions and creams on our skin, not recognizing some of the toxins that are inside of the that are affecting us. So being aware of what you're putting on your skin, especially as it relates to uh, makeup, as it relates to aftercare products after washing your face, there's so much out there that can really cause havoc and cause hormonal imbalances, like xenoestrogens, which can cause challenges with your hormone levels. I would definitely say be aware of that. The next thing I would say is looking at the uh, what we're drinking, our water we're drinking, as far as the bottle, or the bottled water. I would try to encourage you to do, use more of a stainless steel or glass, especially when you're, I would say, more stainless steel. If you're someone who goes to the gym, glass is easily broken. So getting um, a stainless steel hydroflask something of that nature to actually use would be helpful. Um, When we're thinking about uh, the food that we're eating, there's something that's called the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen that deals with, like, organic food. Yes, there's a big controversy, I think, at times, even in my own practice, about eating organic because people feel that it can be quite costly. So if you're going to pick, like, the Clean clean 15 and the Dirty 12, the Dirty Dozen, rather, um, you can look at that, and that's from the Environmental Working Agency, that can tell you, like, these are the foods that most definitely need to be organic. These are the ones that I would say that you don't necessarily have to have organic. So eating clean, um, there's so much toxins. And when I think about um, being in California, in Southern California, you know, we're very um, stereotypically gluten-free, organic. Uh, it has to be picked up from here. But a lot of times if you're eating these foods, even though it says, whole, it says gluten-free, it's full of something else. So read the labels. I would encourage all of you who are listening and who are just really supporting Kathleen during this process is looking at um, eating on the perimeter of the grocery store because the perimeter of the grocery store is likely to have all the boxes and you're more likely to have whole foods. And whole foods are 
better for our body. It's good for our whole mind. So whole food for our whole mind helps. So it's like I'm coming from a multifactorial approach, just looking at everything. That's how I would approach things, Catherine. Right. Well, uh, lots of good information today. And I think as a primary care physician, my pri- I've never been to one who actually asks me all these kinds of questions. You need, pro- I would suggest, and maybe you do this, but uh, you need a questionnaire that a patient can fill out before they actually come to see you with the answers to all of these questions as best they can, and then discuss them when you go in to see your primary care physician. Because half of the things you mentioned I've ne- I've ne- I've never been asked or even asked to describe any of those, uh, whether it's toxins or mold or even anxiety. So anyway, great, great. Uh, I was I was really enjoying this, Catherine. I mean, the questions are great. You're they're like they're right on target. <laughs> like really enjoying this opportunity to be with you. Well, thank you. And uh, so, give us a uh, website or websites we can go to uh, to get more information about you. And as I understand it, you have online consults, right? You'll do online consultations. Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. So if you're looking to reach out to me and find out more about what I do and the type of practice, I'm going to give you two sites. The easiest one, if you go to my Instagram, it's I am Dr. Tamika. And Tamika is spelled all kinds of ways. So that's C as in Tom, A, M as in Mary, I-K-A. So I am Dr. Tamika. And you can DM me there. And there's tons of information at quick at your fingertips. Um, as far as my website as well, that's unlimitedhealthinstitute.com. You can go there and I have what's called the Unlimited Health Strategy Call where we offer a 15-minute complimentary call where we jump on with one of my staff or I and we find out how we can be of service to you and actually guide you because what I find out there is there's so much information and people just need a little bit of help and they want to take a step further and work with someone like myself. That would be the best way. So you could either go to my Instagram at IamDrTanika or check out my website at unlimitedhealth.com institute.com. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Catherine. This has been a blast. I'm like, what a way to start my day. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 